Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Making Sense of Science, the show that features interviews with leading experts in health and science about the latest important developments. I'm your host, Kira Peikoff, the editor of Leaps.org, and today we're going to talk about food allergies and the steps one innovative company is taking to create solutions that stand to make life better for so many people. I'm honored that my guest today is Anat Binur, the co-founder and CEO of UCO, an early-stage biotech company based in the U.S. and Israel. Anat, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Kira. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this line of work. Sure. So, you know, I'm an in-between person. I was born in Israel, but grew up in the U.S. and then kind of moved back to Israel. So I've always lived in between kind of the two countries. Um, and professionally, also have a really interdisciplinary background. It's a good example of how you connect dots across discipline. The first parts of it were really in the worlds of law and policy and academia and even politics. And then second part really delved deep into the worlds of tech. So I started off by going to law school and working for Israel's state attorney and spent several years in the public sectors. I went to Columbia where I got a master's in public policy and worked a little bit on the Hill um, and then got a PhD in MIT that combined behavioral economics and political economy. And at that time started a nonprofit in the education space. And after a few other things, when I finished MIT, I really decided that I, I want to delve deep into the tech world. And I moved out to Silicon Valley and actually joined the investing side. So it's, as entrepreneurs, we always call it the other side of the table. So I actually started on the other side of the table. And I was a partner at a venture capital firm in Palo Alto called Innovation Endeavors. Um, it was originally started by Eric Schmidt from Google and a guy called Dora Berman. Um, and I spent close to five years there. It's an amazing fund that does really interesting deep tech investments and is actually one of the investors in my current company. So around after five years there, I, a really good friend of mine, Professor Yanai Ofran, told me about something really exciting he was working on in the space of uh, food allergies and sensitivities that we really felt could revolutionize uh, patients, you know, future and hope. And I decided to transition out of the VC world and to really launch UCO together with him. And that was around six years ago. Wow. And so... When you talk about food allergies, it immediately, especially for parents, even myself included, it immediately causes just that clenching of anxiety. Like, what if my child has something so scary that's also so omnipresent out in the world? Um, as, you're as you've been involved with this company, have you heard from a lot of patients about this huge unmet need that exists out there? Yeah, I think, you know... I, I grew up, as I said, in the U.S. and Israel. I just don't remember this. I never had a kid in my class with a peanut allergy or food sensitivity. And now I feel it really touches all of our lives. Um, and living with one of these conditions is really significant for the emotional, logistical, and just, you know, life-threatening and fear um, that you have to, to kind of live with every day. And the impact that it has on ev on your larger surroundings. So I think it is really, really present. And I always say I'm, I'm almost never today on a call, in a meeting, in a dinner with friends, in a pitch to investors, where the person in the room either ha you know doesn't either have it themselves, someone in their family, or in their really close circle. So it's it's pretty incredible to work on something that's touching so many lives and is, is just so critical in how we live our life today. And we know, as you mentioned, when you were growing up, even when I was growing up, too, that this didn't seem to be so common. Um, it seems like it's been rising like crazy over the past decade. Is that 
true? And is there a clear reason for that? Yeah, it's really true. As I said, you know, we have our own personal experience, but the data backs it up. You know, there's really varied data here, but overall you can see that over the past several decades, there's been a rise in, you know, like 50% rise in kids with food allergies. There is some data that says that things like celiac sensitivities, like celiacs have been doubling every 15 years or so. So really, really amazing statistics. Despite this, there's still just really a lack of understanding of the space. And while there are several explanations to why we're seeing this rise, and some of them are even pretty leading explanations, you know, we work with the top, top clinicians in the space that are on our advisory board, and they'll all tell you that there isn't just one clear-cut explanation that everyone is really willing to get behind and say, yes, this is the reason it's, you know, backed by data and gives us a really clear view into what is going on. This is still being figured out. Do they have any theories about why this is becoming so much more common? You know, one of the theories has to do with exposure and the fact that as we modernize, you know, and we take care of our kids and kind of really lack their early exposure to allergens. And it may be just the fact that when we go to the playground, we're really keeping everything super sterile and clean. And we're very careful and more thoughtful about the way we introduce food. And you see a variance across cultures and and countries in the way that actually happens. And there is some data that shows that that has an implication for the onset, for the actual occurrence of allergy. But I would say there are also, there's other data that says that that is not the only clear-cut reason, and there may be other things going on as well. So I think also this is a space where we have to be careful, and luckily, there's more and more research happening here, but because it's in the world of food and health, we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions, you know, that are just a little bit sometimes popular science or just feel emotionally right. Because I think we really need to crack this and understand what's going on and really kind of continue to explore the, the data that's behind um, what we're seeing. Absolutely. So before I get deep into UCO and the revolutionary approach that you guys are taking, I just want to set the context for what exists today? What are solutions that people right now could turn to if they have a serious food allergy besides the well-known EpiPen? Um, is there anything else that people can do? Yeah, in general, the zoom out of the space, which I think is interesting and later also allows us to understand where UCO and other efforts sit, you kind of see two really siloed efforts going on. One bucket is really trying to cure patients, and you see there are a lot of um, new therapies being developed. So for cases like celiac, you may see blocking pills or enzymes that chop up the gluten when you eat it, and really interesting and different efforts. In the worlds of food allergy, kind of the leading therapeutic approach right now is called food allergy immunotherapy. And actually, one of the leading drugs in the space got even FDA approval in 2020. So that was a really important step forward for this space. Um, and yet, and I would say that that's siloed one, kind of w- trying to cure patients. There's another bucket that's focused on food. And you see really interesting things happening there today, too, like efforts trying to get rid of gluten and wheat or kill off allergens in different um, crops using agriculture approaches. Also, there are really interesting things happening. I think in both these spaces, there's still hurdles um, before we can find really a mass market solution. And you could say that one of the reasons is that historically we've looked at things so siloed, like there were people really deeply understood the immune system and then people really understood proteins and food. And the question is, can we bridge and really integrate between these worlds in order to create 
future you know, solutions, which I think some of the more innovative approaches are, are finally doing that. And it's super exciting. And UCO is one of those. So now that we have a little bit more understanding of the background, tell us what gets you so excited about UCO and what you guys are working on. Sure. So I'll explain in a minute what we do, but I have to first say it's the mission. Like there is the reason why I really decided to go to the other side of the table and jump from the VC world, which I loved and a fund I really, really cared a lot about into the roller coaster of entrepreneurship. And it's because I, I really feel fortunate, you know, to have an opportunity kind of to wake up every morning and work with this incredible team to solve such a meaningful problem. I see it also on my team. There's something about going to a dinner, talking to friends, being in an elevator with a neighbor, and when they ask you what you do and you say that this is the problem you're solving, just a light goes off, you know, because it's been an underserved area. And as I said before, it just touches all our lives. So I'd say first, it's amazing to wake up every morning and work on something so meaningful. I think second is definitely the tech innovation. There is, you know, in VC, when you look at companies, you think, how do we assess that this is an interesting opportunity? And one of the questions we always ask is like, you know, why now? And I think what we do at UCO would not have been possible 10 years ago. So what I'm really excited about is, is this tech innovation. It's the ability to really bridge and bring together very interdisciplinary and very edge technologies in order to create these solutions. So if you had to describe what UCO is doing or what is the leaps, the so-called leap that you're making um, or working to make with your platform, what is it exactly? Yeah. So first, you know, again, our mission is to really to solve for food allergies and sensitivities. And we do this by harnessing very super edge technologies into a unique tech platform that allows us to really go to a protein at the component level and design it such that we keep all its good qualities. So good qualities are all its biophysical qualities, uh, you know, biochemical, its stability and later how it behaves in food like functionality and even therapeutic qualities get rid of what's called the bad qualities. Those parts of the protein, they're actually triggering an immune response in patients with these conditions. So the goal at that is to get to proteins that are equal to the regular type proteins in all respects, but will be, and of course, these are things we're still showing in human trials and so on, but will be safe for everyone in a generalized way. And so what you will have in hand are proteins that can really revolutionize the way we think about food and health. So specifically, we're starting with gluten sensitivities, including celiac and peanut allergies. But what we're doing will be applicable for any protein-based allergy. And using the proteins we have today, we're kind of focused on two different applications. So it's kind of at the end of what we design and do with our proteins. We get proteins that are, as I said, regular proteins, but safe. So in the case of gluten, we really use them for the food world. And we can talk about that a little more um, in a bit. But we're really creating a new kind of gluten that will be like totally regular gluten, but will allow you to make incredible, amazing, perfect pasta, pizza dough, baked goods. Like imagine for a second that perfect bakery you like to go and have your coffee and something with. You could replicate everything that's there, but make it safe for everyone to eat. Um, and then at the same time, from this really unique design a protein design platform. We're also designing our peanut proteins to create a new drug uh, to solve food allergies and any protein-based allergy. So you're working on two separate but thematically joined areas in both food, the food world and the therapeutic world, designing these proteins to be safe but without the allergen component, right? 
Yes, without the immune, the part that triggers an immune response. If you want to go into the nitty gritty, you know, celiac is not an allergy. It's a food sensitivity while peanuts are an allergy. But absolutely, yes, that is the goal. Designing proteins that will be safe, um, but maintain all the other things that we want in that protein. Interesting. So um, allow us to just get a little technical for a second, just because it's so interesting. And I want to give a little more flavor. Apologies for the pun. Um, Can you just explain to a non-scientist audience how do you design and engineer a protein? I mean, can we help our audience conceptualize what that would be like? Yes. So I'll try to simplify. You know, I think it's actually, there's really great metaphor. I would say like all engineering, the goal is to, is to take something and really tailor the characteristics of that something, in our case, a protein for your own needs. So you can think about it a little bit like editing a book. There's a book, there are words, and sentences, and they're made up of letters, right? So the letters are really key here. And by changing the letters, you slowly change the words, which change the meaning of the story and even the outcome. So protein is actually made of a sequence of something that is like letters. And the role and the goal of really great protein engineers, and in our case, we use super advanced artificial intelligence and computational capabilities together with protein engineering, to look at the existing word and say, hmm, if we flip out or change this letter or that letter, we can actually either maintain the meaning or shift the meaning towards what we want, but still make the word really readable. Okay, and maybe at a metaphor level, that's really how you think about protein engineering. And is there any chance that when the researchers are editing these proteins that they could um, sacrifice any of the good biochemical qualities uh, while they're trying to get rid of the tr- the ones that trigger an immune response? Like, how do they strike that balance? Amazing question. Like, and this is one of the core, you know, efforts and unique things that we do at UCO, um, because in order to achieve that balance, which is exactly the trick, because what we want to do, for example, is maintain all, as I said before, good qualities. So it's the stability and the folding of the protein and therefore how it'll bake bread and whether it will be therapeutic, right? But get rid of those parts of the protein, they're actually triggering the immune response. And that's actually an unknown. And what UCO is doing in our approach is that we first take real patient samples. We have hundreds of blood samples here in our lab and hundreds of biopsies that we use first to map what parts of the protein are actually causing the immune response. And how are you different than me, different than someone else? And I have to say right there, even before we start designing, creating all the solutions, um, we're unlocking unlocking super, super important information for this field and space and are really excited to work with many of our clinical partners on leveraging that towards knowledge in general. But this is the secret sauce. We then go to the protein and design it in such a way that we maintain the good and get rid of the bad. But then we have to test it to make sure that we actually achieved what we want. And what we do is we go back to the samples and show that the change that we made is not triggering the immune response. And yet, through other things we test, maintaining all the other things we're looking for um, in that protein. So it's a really iterative process. And UCO has built very unique capabilities that allow us to move super fast and innovate on lots of variants here and really iterate in order to get to that perfect protein that is in that balance between the good and the bad. So 
I would imagine then, it, with that kind of approach, does that mean that everybody who has a peanut allergy or everyone who has a gluten sensitivity is responding fundamentally to the same trigger in the protein, or can that differ among people with the same allergy? Great question and really, really important. It's actually re- this understanding is a lot is at the core, both of what Uko does and, and then our understanding in general, what is going on and how is one person different than another and how do we know if there are different types of allergies even to the same protein? Um, so no, not everyone is reacting to the same exact part of the protein, but there's a limited number of parts of the protein that patients actually are reacting to. And once Uko maps it, because we have such microengineering capabilities, Our goal is actually to go and tailor and solve for all those parts such that the protein at the end will be a good solution for most of, if not all of the people with allergy. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it just makes me think in contrast to something like cancer therapeutics where there's so many personalized manifestations of it that you can't just get like an off-the-shelf drug for cancer. Obviously, there's just too many Um, But with something like this, it sounds amazing if you're able to create something that works for most people. Yeah, this is our goal. We're already seeing very promising data that we're able to achieve that. Um, And eventually it will also be for multi-allergens for people. And I think it'll be critical in the type of experience patients have as they're going through um, therapy. Wow. So um, just going back to the whole food and medicine approach, Can you just tell us a little bit more specifically, like where is the effort today in terms of the gluten um, free or not gluten free, but non gluten sensitive proteins? How would you how how do you say that? What's the wording you use? Sure. No, so I think today people with sensitivity um, to gluten, including celiac, Really, the only solution that they have is exactly to eat gluten-free, to completely avoid the gluten. I have to say, gluten-free has gotten far better than it used to be. But the challenge is that when you get rid of the gluten, you kind of get rid of everything that we love in baked goods, because gluten is actually what's responsible for the fluff and the stretch and the yumminess. And when you get rid of the gluten, you have a problem. And so usually what happens is in order to compensate for that, you have to start adding other things. So often, not always, but often that means that the end product that is a gluten-free product will be less healthy than, um, than your typical gluten. And you, when you look at the data, and then as well as when you speak to people with sensitivity and celiac, you see that their experience in consuming gluten-free is not good. Um, usually it's more expensive, it's not as tasty across all types of products, and, and often it's not healthy. And this is really what Uko is trying to solve because our platform allows us to really rethink what it means to kind of make food healthier and better for us and to know that that's scientifically backed. So just to give you a sense, in gluten, as we know it in wheat, there's something like 150 proteins. So Uko looks at that and actually says, hey, we don't need all 150 proteins actually to bake. What if we only need four And we take these four proteins and now we design them to be safe for people with celiac. And then let's produce it at scale. So now we have a new gluten that, as I said before, bakes and makes incredible, fluffy, crusty, perfect bread, but that everyone will be able to eat. And, you know, here at the lab, as I said before, we are extremely interdisciplinary. I think we work on almost every edge technology including a baking lab where we literally have bakers that are mixing and baking nuggets every day to test how do we get to that optimal, perfect, 
you know, nugget. Wow, that sounds like a fun job. It's like a super <laughs> high tech taste kitchen. Totally. And I've also discovered, by the way, interestingly, that many people in biology are super foodies. So our entire team is really, really a you know, foodie team and they, they go crazy over this baking. And we've had many self-taught you know, taste tests um, of some of our breads. And I can tell you that the results so far are really, really exciting and promising. So is the end goal for this company um, a product, like a line of breads or pizza doughs that we would be able to buy at, say, Whole Foods? Or is the product going to be some kind of special ingredient that people can buy to make their own? Or like, what's the... What's the idea? Yeah. First, let's say for Uko in general, just to zoom out for a second, we have a really revolutionary platform, I think, that will allow us to really redefine the way you can use AI and protein engineering to design proteins for our food and health system. Specifically on the gluten, yeah, the idea is to have a gluten that will be an ingredient that you can bake and make, um, you know, incredible baked goods and pastas and pizza doughs that will be healthy and wonderful to eat and will be safe for everyone as we'll show in our clinical trials and so on. So like if everything goes well, no unanticipated bumps in the road, when can people get their hands on this? Yeah, so that is, a, you know, we are a startup. So let's start with just that statement is, you know, never true for a startup, but I'm joking. Um, yes, the goal is, you know, we're deep in work on this. And the goal of uh, for us on the gluten side is for people to start to be able to taste this within the next two years. Awesome. And then let's shift over and talk about the therapeutic approach with uh, peanut allergy. Tell us a little bit more specifically what's going on on that side of the program. Yes. So as I mentioned, um, you know, the only real sol- you know solution today for people with allergy is, as you said, you know, to walk with to avoid peanuts, for example, and really walk with it around with a nappy pen in case there was uh, exposure, um, mistake, you know, by mistake. However, there is something called food allergy immunotherapy, which is currently the leading therapy approach for people with food allergy. Super important. It has saved lives and really changed kind of the hope and the way the entire field looks at what is possible. However, it still has challenges. And one of the main challenges is also safety, because in this um, therapy, you get exposed to the toxic allergen itself. Actually, what it is, is they give you small, tiny microdoses of, let's say, peanut powder that slowly grow over time in dosage in order to desynthesize. Teach your immune system to lower the level of the threshold of reaction, especially so that you won't die from like, uh, you know, a mistaken exposure, let's say at a restaurant. Super, super important. But the challenge is that as you're getting exposed, you're getting exposed to the toxic allergen itself, which means you really have to have a very rigorous safety plan. People with severe allergy can't always participate in this therapy. As you're going through it, there's often reaction and the experience for some people cannot is not very good. So there may be dropout rates, has huge lifestyle implications. And even later on the maintenance phase over time, real, real impact. And that's a hurdle. It's a hurdle of making this really available in a mass market solution. So UCO is trying to solve for this. In our engineering platform here, we're designing peanut proteins such that Getting rid of the bad is getting rid of the parts of the protein that are triggering the allergic response. And maintaining the good is maintaining the parts of the protein that are desynthesizing you, teaching your immune system to lower the level of reaction. And the end goal is to create a better, safer, more efficacious therapy 
so that a larger population can access it and the experience as you're going through it is much better and easier to administer and easier to go through it and eventually can maybe even solve things for, for multi-allergens. And as I said, we're starting with peanut allergy, but this will be true for any, and our pipeline will be any protein-based allergy. So let me just see if I understand this. You can take out, or you're working to take out the part of the, the peanut protein that creates the toxic allergic response, but keeping in the part that will still build tolerance with the immune system without um, without that dangerous level of trigger. Is that true? Yes, very true. Exactly. It's really looking at per protein at a really atomic level. Can we, if you think about that sentence that I said before, can we flip out, change a few letters such that you still read the sentence the same? It's still a peanut protein that can desynthesize you for peanuts, regular peanuts. But something is off such that your immune system doesn't react in the same bad way. So by taking out that bad part, you're not going to undercut the effort overall of building tolerance with the immune system. You can still achieve that theoretically without that part. That is what we are, you know, going to show. And we already have extremely exciting and promising results. But yes, that, that is the goal. So, so tell us more about the, the results that you have so far. So I can't speak about all of them yet public, but I would say, you know, we have really, as I said, we've built here, I think one of the, a really large um, data bank of blood samples from all over the world, Europe and Asia and the US and and Israel and beyond. Um, And we are using them both for the mapping. So as I said, we've already discovered in the mapping things that people did not know about allergy and about peanut allergens. And second, for the proteins that we've already designed, we have really promising results on human human samples and in, um, in animal studies that show that this approach, you know, is, is really promising, that it, 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 it's showing signs that it will work. Meaning that when you expose people who have a, um, patient samples, samples from people who have peanut allergy, to the wild type peanut, the sample goes crazy. And when you take that same sample and expose it to, um, you know, to, to UCO modified allergens, it's as if it didn't even know it was a peanut. Wow. So when will that effort go into human clinical trials? So that is planned for the next, in the, within the next two years and we're in process. We've shifted into the development phase and are starting to kind of set up all the trials. Um, so that will be happening within the next two years. That's exciting. So when you think about the design of that human trial, will some final component of the trial involve, like after the people are exposed to the UCO protein for peanuts, will they actually then have to try a real peanut and see how they do? Yes, part of that will be part of the design. I should say that is the way today in general allergies diagnosed, right? So if you have a peanut allergy, sometimes part of the process may be actually giving you a food challenge with slowly growing amounts of peanuts. So it's not unique and actually, uh, in our case, will be done in a very um, standard and acceptable way. So yes, that is the goal because what we want to show is that exposure to proteins at the end allows for tolerization against regular peanut. And will the human clinical trial allow kids to participate or only adults? Good question. At the end, it will, it will involve both. That's something that we're still, you know, in conversations with the regulatory bodies to see kind of how to build the different phases as far as population and geography and so on. And overall, just zooming out again, could this whole approach be helpful for 
things like cat allergies or bee stings or things that are not related to food in any way? Yes, this is one of the things we're really excited about that, you know, um, the first kind of asset or proof of concept for UCO is really peanut allergy, but the concept and our approach and our design, you know, our, our platform that I described is applicable for any protein-based allergy. That means all food allergens, environmental allergens like pollen and animal uh, allergies, including bees. Wow. Again, this wow. is all our pipeline and things we will be working on and showing, but yes, that's, it's, it's really exciting. So just in terms of the way uh, the immune system works, let's say there is that um, product or therapeutic already available for something like peanuts. How long do you think, <clears throat> maybe you don't have the answer yet, but just out of curiosity, how long would somebody need to kind of build the tolerance safely with the UCO peanut to be able to kind of go out in the world and not worry about it? Is it like on the order of weeks, months, or years? It's hard to say right now because actually what we're doing is really just changing. Um, it's something so new and different than what's been done before. I have to say what we do know is that it takes time to train the immune system. And usually, regardless of the approach, you do need several exposures over time. The goal for UCO and what we're trying to achieve with our approach is to cut that down as much as possible and to enhance and kind of, you know, um, make the patient experience and the clinician's experience easier in going through this therapy and the way it's administered and what you go through as you're going um, through it, I think it will allow us to make this something that's far more accessible for all types of families and for broader populations in general. So what's the most challenging thing that you're dealing with at the moment or that you anticipate coming up in the near future? Yeah, I have to say, you know, as a CEO, I often like ask myself because it's a question investors will also always ask you, like, what keeps you up at night? So I try to also ask myself that every few weeks um, to check in. And I have to say in general and in the kind of world we're in, I would say first and foremost, it's really biology. Like the mechanism for allergy and sensitivity is not well known. It's one of the hurdles for innovation in the space, but also what makes it exciting. And I have to say, it's amazing to see what's been happening over the past few years in academia and across startups and larger companies and exploring the space. So for me, I think that keeps me up because it raises lots of hurdles and unknowns and we really have to often make decisions in kind of uncertain territory, right? And that's not easy for a startup always to do. Um, I think UCO is really going to help to further this research and unlock knowledge in the space. So hopefully it will make it less challenging both for ourselves, but also in general for research around food allergies and sensitivities in the future. So in terms of the, the peanut allergy one, I know you mentioned clinical trials are coming up um, hopefully in the next couple of years. What does that mean for you know, future availability if parents are listening and they're like, okay, I'm going to set my calendar for what year when this will become available, maybe. As I said, biology is the number one concern, and I would add to that regulatory hurdles as well. So it's hard to plan for trials, but definitely, you know, after that, we try to get the next phase going as soon as possible. We see we want to work correctly and at the gold standard of safety. But of course, we have an urgency for the mission as well um, and really want to get the solution out there as quickly as possible. I will say that I think it's a hopeful time. Um, I think this will be cracked and solved and all the right brains and minds, including UCOs, are on it. Are there um, any or a lot of other companies working in parallel on like protein design and engineering for allergies? 
I, I would not as far as I know specifically in our approach, but you never know. Um, I do know that there are companies trying to solve this from different directions and it's creating a really interesting holistic approach. Um, and I think at the end, it's going to only lift the entire field up and allow for really, really a, a, a deep and kind of broad solution um, across allergy and sensitivity. Well, let's hope that the next generation of kids uh, maybe our, by the time of our kids having kids, hopefully food allergies and, and all these allergies will just be an easy thing that can be treated and solved without all of the anxiety that so many people deal with right now. Oh, for sure. I'll just give you a small anecdote, even from here in the office. You know, we brought a few weeks ago, we work really closely with different patient organizations and groups. And we brought a group of uh, parents that we work with who have kids with very severe peanut allergies to kind of talk with the team. And I... I think it was one of the most meaningful moments in the past few months at Uko because it just touched all of our um, hearts and really brought the mission so home to all of us because, of course, the stories are really, really hard with many parents experiencing near-death experience with infants and young children and then kind of living through the consequences of what life is like after such an experience when you kind of are just awaiting or trying to minimize um, the next one, you know, can be a family that n will never go on a vacation in a hotel because because of fear um, and, and still super courageous and I think changing the world and making everyone more empathetic around them. But, you know, really, um, really not an easy thing to, to live with. That's that's really terrifying. And I have to tell you, this comes this conversation comes at such an apt moment because um, I have a seven month old and my pediatrician just said, OK, now is the time to try peanut exposure and I keep putting it off, but I, I feel like I should just do it. So <laughs> <laughs> I understand. It's definitely, you know, it's definitely, um, this is one of the challenges is that, that understanding that this can be something that can be dangerous, but at the same time that, you know, everyone understands early exposure is important. So it's a hard line to walk as a parent, um, even for, for families who, who don't think their child has a, a food allergy. So this is something we really, really hope to, to change. Well, maybe one day every everyone's baby's first peanut will just be an Uko peanut powder oh. or something, and then nobody will have to freak out about it in advance. That is our hope. For well, sure. That sounds great. Um, any last insights or thoughts you want to share? No, I would say, you know, again, as I said, I, I think this is, this is a hopeful time. I think the worlds of food and health are really, really blurring and UCO is an example of this and um, I think it's really shifting the way we think about what is it what does it mean when we say something is safe for us and how do we leverage technologies really for human value and benefit um, in a way that changes our food system and our health system and allows us really to to live you know freer safer more accessible lives and kind of create a better world for for everyone. Wonderful. Well, thank you for the inspiring work you're doing and for sharing it with us. Um, side note for our listeners, we do have a shared funder, Leaps by Bayer, and they exert no editorial control over our platform at leaps.org or who we have on our podcast. Um, I chose to have you on and not because of how fascinating your work is. And I really think that um, so many people will be excited to have learned about it and will be keeping an eye on you in the future. So lots of luck with the both the food and the therapies that you're working on. And uh, we will be following the work as well. Share any updates with us. 
And thanks to everyone uh, for listening. If you like the show, follow us, Making Sense of Science, to hear new episodes. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.